Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. This week's Masters Classic features James Morrison, a celebrated icon in the hairdressing industry. James began his career as a hairdresser at age 15 in London. He moved to America in 1984 as co-founder of the manufacturing and salon company TG USA Tony and Guy. For more than 45 years, James dedicated his career to helping people reach their full potential. Listen in as he describes his illustrious career, the importance of lifelong learning, and more. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and sign up for our mailing list at mastersbywinclaybaugh.com. And remember, the Masters Podcast is available on your favorite podcast platforms. Hi everybody, this is Wynn Claywell. Welcome to this issue of Masters. This is going to be an easy <laughs> day for me um, because I'm sitting here with family. I'm sitting here with um, a very, very good friend. We go back many, many years in the beauty industry, at least 20 years in the industry. And our lives have crossed many paths together, both personally and professionally. And although um, you know, people like to say, I'm with this tribe or that tribe, and that never mattered, <laughs> to you and I. We didn't, it didn't matter what tribe we came from. That was never a hindrance as to whether or not we were going to be friends or whether or not we were going to network and, and uh, share ideas with each other in our companies. And so, uh, no stranger to Masters, please welcome James Morrison. Hi, James. Hi, Wynn, and uh, hi to everybody listening. It's great to be on Masters, and uh, I love to have the opportunity, well, first of all, to hang out with Wynn as a dear friend. But also to connect with the industry and you know, I think one of the things that you've done really well is create this fabulous network and community of hairdressers that are like-minded, that really gravitate to the message that the masters deliver. So I'm happy to be here. And you know, if I could be any resource to help eliminate those walls or those perceived walls that can uh, exist between one stylist to the next or one salon to the next because well they carry that product line and we carry a different product line you know what's what unites us in this industry is is eliminating those walls and uh, although your background is Tony and Guy and, and TG you know that again just never mattered to us and uh, I, I love the whole networking message and you've been a big proponent of that, of that as well well I think anybody that's entrepreneurial in spirit or anybody that's aspired to achieve anything uh, recognizes the same quality in other people. And what I recognized very early on in my career is that there's, when you're first starting out, uh, you feel like you're alone and you feel like it's an uphill battle. And, you know, Plato said something, be, be kind to everybody because everybody's fighting a, a hard battle. Mm -hmm. So when you're first starting out, regardless of if it's as a new salon owner or an established salon owner, a new stylist or a new esthetician, anybody in the beauty industry starting out, sometimes feels they're alone and I recognized that early on and that's why I kind of wanted to hang out with people that were had the same quest or the same goal and you know when I think about that I think about people like yourself when David Wagner there's a plethora of individuals that have been out there kind of blazing their trail and feel the same way about the industry and I think it's 
perception is your own reality. Sometimes when you think you're on your own, that's the reality you create. But um, what we've been lucky enough to do is to sort of create a new reality, which is sharing information and being inspired by each other's success. And that's a, a wonderful quality, I think, to you know, bring out in newer people to the industry. Well, what do they say, don't shoot the messenger? And I, I think some people, they discount information because it came from who they consider to be the wrong source. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not from my company, so they don't have anything to share. You know, right. I, I have no validity to what they have to share. Or, you know, that well, they're not a hairdresser. Or they're not, right. they've never been a salon owner, so they don't have any information yeah. from me. I mean, there's, there's, David Rico is a wonderful author, and he wrote a book called How to Be an Adult, which sounds kind of simplistic or over, overly simplistic. But one of the great pieces of information that I took from it is that everything that's presented to you is just information. Hmm. You know, it's... If you eliminate the emotion or you eliminate your point of view or your come from and just look at everything as information, there's so many more things you can take from it that can actually motivate you. And that's what I've learned. I mean, I was part of Tony and Guy and for the listeners that maybe are not familiar with the, the history a little bit, you know, Tony and Guy's a family business, four brothers that started the company and I joined them in London in 1979, I was 19 years old. and. Always wanted to live in America and I was fortunate enough to come to America in 1984 and start the company with Bruno Moscolo and, you know, it took us 20 years to become an overnight success. Right, right. And, and starting in a garage in Dallas to, you know, last year we had an incredible event where Unilever wanted to purchase TG and purchased TG and made a lot of people very wealthy and, you know, and fulfilled a lot of dreams. So I was always part of that family business. And um, one of the things I loved about and I learned from the Moscolo family is the secret of involvement, of, of keeping people involved. And they were a family and their philosophy was to kind of make people feel good and make people feel like they're part of the family. And as I look back on my career, it's probably one of the most significant things, other than the technical and creative things I learned from people like Anthony, but um, it's one of the things that I carry with me. And I find that like-minded people have that in their DNA. People like yourself, you mentioned David, Angus is another wonderful example of that. And, you know, it's a great characteristic to have. Hmm. So James, you, again, you were, your title was International Artistic Director for Tony and Guy. And TG was sold back in April of 2009. And so now you're just a, you're a, you're a full-time dad. You're well, a, uh, you know, I, I did things backwards. I mean, a lot of men, they'll build their career and they'll have their family at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to really focus completely on my career. And then I met this wonderful woman and, you know, she agreed to be my wife. And, you know, I started this new adventure, this new journey. And we wanted to have a family. So I was almost 50 when we had our first you know, son, and now, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be pregnant with our, our second child is on the way. So my time and energy now, I, I can give my time and energy now completely to my family, but still stay in the industry because I think I love the industry and I love who we are and what we do on all levels. And I have so many rich relationships and I'm not ready to sort of like say goodbye to those relationships. I think those are the foundation of what I'm going to build or do in the future, you know? And there's so many of those relationships that are personal and friendships too, so, 
you know, it's a great way to, to do business and it's a great way to sort of enrich your life. But even if you wanted to say uh, goodbye to the beauty industry, there's several of us that would continue to pull you back in. So go ahead and change diapers, but we still need to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and I, and I, think, I think I'm learning more. I think having a, a child and a, to kind of connect with your listeners that do have families and are raising families as they're creating their careers... I've learned so much from my son. My son's become my greatest teacher, uh, teaching me patience and teaching me to stop and smell the, the flowers because when we go out for walks, he's, he gravitates to the flowers and every, he's in awe of everything. So I'm starting to see things with childlike eyes and really take time to sort of, you know, recognize the, the preciousness of life. Isn't that great though? I mean, somebody who has curiosity and you're, you're learning it from a, a one-year-old or there are people that they're still 80 years old, and but they still have this mindset of curiosity. And I think that's such an attractive trait because the opposite of that is to be a know-it-all. Yeah. And a know-it-all is just so unattractive. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not very sexy really, is it? No, I mean, not. it's not, I mean, have you ever been in, in a party, a cocktail party or an event and you're with somebody and they're just blabbing on about what they're doing and what's, what they think? Or you've been at another party and somebody's been asking you questions about yourself and what you're doing and what you're into. And you come away from the, at the end of the event and you think, wow, what a great conversationalist. <laughs> you know? Because they asked you about you. Because they ask you about you. It's you your know? favorite topic. It's your favorite. You know, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, James and I decided that our topic for uh, this master's issue is going to be about coaching, which actually we could probably release about 10 master's CDs on that topic because it is such an important topic, especially when you consider that people in the beauty industry, maybe perhaps their initial schooling was not as long or as intense or as focused as it is for other industries. And so people can sometimes think, well, I can get in the beauty industry with nine months of schooling, bam, I'm done. I'm done with learning, I'm done with... And, and of course, they find themselves not as successful as they could be because the education ended. And uh, even though education might, formal education might have ended, certainly doesn't mean that that has to be the, the end of learning, or at least it doesn't have to be the, the end of growth. And the best growth comes through coaching. Absolutely. The, you know, we look at our histories, we look at our journey, and we look at the path that we've taken, and we were very fortunate to trailblaze in many ways. I mean, you know, you know there wasn't, prior to you coming along, the idea of a Paul Mitchell you know, school, a future professional, was an idea. Was it, was it, you know, the idea of Bedhead or Tony and Guy Salons was just an idea. So we were fortunate enough to come along and, and help manifest these ideas. Mm -hmm. And so our, we had plenty of time to go through a learning curve. Mm -hmm. I think today it's a much more competitive landscape. So I think the learning curve for people is shorter particularly our younger or future professionals, they have so much more of a visual idea of what is balance, what looks good, suitability. Now, it's those fine increments of change or improvement that can take somebody from being you know, ordinary to being extraordinary. And where coaching comes in, the coach's real responsibility is to ask a couple of questions like, where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? And I think people that are coaches, people like myself that have now come back full circle, what I'm looking to do is work with salon owners and stylists to help them get to where they want to go. Um, that's the best way in which I feel I can contribute to 
the industry, and it's also the best way in which I can feel like I'm valued, I'm creating value for myself. I think the whole meaning of having a coach or a mentor is there's somebody who is smarter than you are, or that there at least there's somebody who has been down a path and may, perhaps they had to overcome some obstacles to get to their level of success, and you can learn from their experiences. Mm -hmm. People want to learn through first-hand experience, but the value of those lessons diminishes in the time that it takes to have the experience. I mean, if you're trying to learn everything through first-hand experience, you're going to be... Uh, it's going to take you a long time and there's a lot of pain involved. You know, you don't have to learn about what a recovering drug addict could teach you mm -hmm. of how they fell down and what they learned through that whole process. You don't have to become a drug addict to learn the right. lessons that a, that a recovering drug addict could teach you. Right. You said something, I'm writing down a whole bunch of questions for you, but you said something about maybe perhaps when you were that trailblazer and, and Bruno was that trailblazer and, and back when, when Arnie... Miller was a trailblazer for Matrix and all those amazing, incredible entrepreneurs that started these product companies. You know, you know that you're going back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Do you feel like today those same types of opportunities are available for people today? Like what would it be like now for somebody to try to start a new product line today? Would it be a lot more difficult for them than it was you know, for Paula Kent Meehan when she started Redkin that many years ago? Well, I, I think it would be more difficult. I mean, when I look at, I'm fortunate enough because I have a, a rich lineage and, and connection to the industry, so I know my history, and I think it's important to know your history. You know, and I know the Paul Mitchell story very well, that, you know, JP and Paul Mitchell started for $700. Now, do I think that could be done today? I don't think it could be done today. I think to start a product company, you'd have to have deep, deep pockets. But I really think the real currency today, the real currency today is our ideas. And I think the visionary of today is the person that has a unique and a different idea because that's what's going to spark, you know, and mobilize people to want to get behind. People want to get behind ideas and, and concepts. I mean, I just, free hugs. I, I just saw the video for free hugs on YouTube. Which was, a, which was a Paul Mitchell endeavor and a Paul Mitchell school project. And it's a powerful idea. So I think, you know, you can dream and you can believe and that's important, but I think to really kind of cultivate your ideas and even if that idea is, I'm going to be the best graduated Bob haircutter in the United States and that is one concept and you really hone that idea there's value there and you can actually parlay and leverage that into a lot of success so I think there's a lot of naysayers that would go well everything's been done before and all the salons have been done and all the concepts have been done and all the products have been done I disagree with that I think there's a lot of opportunity and technology today has allowed us to create new opportunities what do you feel like your best gift was that you brought to Tony and Guy. You started with the company when you were how old? I was 19 years old. And so you were with them for 60 years? I was with them for... I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 30 years. <laughs> I was with them for 30 years. The best gift that I brought... Which I'm sure is not an easy question, you know, because no. I'm, I'm asking you to kind of brag about yourself. And yeah, no, since I, you're all you think about, that, yeah. you know, just let it go. I don't mind talking about myself because I think that's another... Our culture, the American culture, we embrace success and we expect people that are success to talk about it because I don't know. I don't know why. The British culture is you're almost shy away from talking about yourself because it's bad form and bad taste. But I've been in America now for longer than I lived in the UK. So I, okay. consider, I consider myself more American-minded. Uh, 
So my forte was the ability to communicate and talk. And the asset that I had, which is the same asset as a lot of young stylists have, was what I had was time. I had time to go into the salon early and stay late. I had time to go to the photo shoots and, and pass bobby pins. And I had time to like be the guy to go and get coffees and make sandwiches. And so I re recognized I had time to dedicate to learn my craft. And I think that never goes away. That, I mean, if you have a family and children, that's you're an entirely different reality there. So some things are just not possible. But, but having said that, I think for a lot of future professionals or younger hairdressers coming out, the most valuable asset they have is their time. Yeah. Um, gather your rosebuds while you may. You know, it's like, you know, seize the day. You have to do something with the time that you have. Hmm. You, you also mentioned that how ideas are currency. And so there are opportunities available for entrepreneurs and it's, you know, utilizing their ideas. You consciously and purposely became a motivational speaker. Maybe that's because you have a passion for doing that, but I, I also have a feeling it was so that people would believe in your ideas. Yeah, and, and also, you know, I, I was in the family business. I mean, I was part of the Moscow family for 30 years, and I, I worked very closely with Anthony, and, but there's only one Anthony. And, you know, Anthony is charismatic, incredibly talented, I would do a head of hair and I thought it would look stunning and Anthony would walk up and with his little beautiful fingers would put his hands through the hair and it would go from being what I would thought would be beautiful to amazing and it really used to piss me off <laughs> and, and I thought I'm going to be like Anthony so I'm going to walk and talk and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and be like Anthony and then one day I went to do a seminar and the model didn't show up. And I had an audience of 250, 300 hairdressers and they didn't know who I was and nobody would volunteer to let me cut their hair. So I had to entertain, we'd sold tickets, and so I had to entertain this audience for two hours. And I went out and I spoke about the industry and my experience of the industry and I told jokes and I got them laughing, I got them crying. And I recognized in that point is that I don't have to be like Anthony. I can be like James. So. I have to concentrate on being the best James and I have to find my authentic voice. And I think the longer you live, at some point you recognize you have to grow into who you are, who you're meant to be. And I've heard you say this about what makes your heart sing. And I think what makes your heart sing is your authentic voice. So that's a process that I undertook and I recognized it. And I kind of, two things. One, I recognized what I was good at. And two, it gave me a point of differentiation to, to not be like Anthony, appreciate and value and respect and learn from him, but at the same time, work on my own gifts and my own skills. So what's your message then if you were talking to brand new people entering the beauty industry? Because I'm sure on one hand, we're telling them, find your mentors and model them, you know, model their attitudes, their behavior, their, their education what they eat for breakfast, how much sleep they get at night, duplicate everything that they're doing so that you can perhaps also duplicate their success. You know, but then you're also saying, you know, you, you, all, you have to be you know, authentic. So, mm -hmm. so how, do, how do you... There's a real, I think that's an evolutionary process. I think, you know, if you have a fear of failure, then if you adapted the mantra, you know, act as if you couldn't fail, or what would I do if I couldn't fail? And I think if you align yourself, and I believe if you align yourself with people that are already successful at 
work or business or how they look or going to the gym and you glean from them the essential things that allow them to have that vital spark. But at the same time, once you get that confidence, then that's the opportunity to recognize what your own potential is. Hmm. So yes, learn from everybody else, but at some point you want to recognize where your own gift lies and how you're going to cultivate and really bring that out. I've been trying to study about like personal branding and even if you're working in a salon and you're receiving a commission or you're receiving a salary, it really doesn't matter. You're still, I like to say you're in business for yourself and you have one employee, you. Mm. And the brand that you're trying to sell, i.e. your services and your talents and your gifts and your product is based on um, not just the brand of the, the product line that you carry, but it's, it's the individual's personal brand. Mm -hmm. And I've just been trying to like, I'm kind of fascinated by that, about, about what it takes to create a personal brand. You know, so the, the brand of Wynn, the brand mm -hmm. of, of James Morrison. So for you, it wasn't in duplicating exactly who Antony was to create your personal brand. Mm -hmm. You had to find your own voice and all that. Sure. I think what I like to back up a little bit, you know, when you're setting out, when, you're st when I was starting out, I wanted to be successful financially because I came from a very working class background. So coming to the United States and being here, part of the motivation was to, be, to make a lot of money and be successful. Now, with the sale of the company, that was a goal that I had achieved or I was fortunate to realize. Now, what happened once the event was over and the dust had settled and the money was deposited and we took a, a breath, I recognized that the thing I'd been working on, which was this company for 20 years, is gone. And it's, it's, I'm no longer part of that. So a huge part of my identity and who I think I am and what I think I am and the influence I have and the, the ability to motivate people and the ability to connect to people was gone. So it left me with a question is who am I now and what do I do now? And I drove past a church, it was in Dallas at the time, and on the placard on the outside of the church was the purpose of life is a life of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I recognized in that moment, okay, what is my purpose now? Because for 30, 20 years, 30 years, I had a very strong purpose, at least on a business level. But now it's, now I'm not really quite sure. And what I did, I went to see a, a friend of mine who is a, a life coach. And we had about five or six sessions in terms of, you know, how I feel, what I think, where I want to go. And in that process, I recognized what she was doing is what I want to do. I recognized my purpose was always to help people because I feel good when I help people. So when it comes to a person's personal brand, I think the first thing they have to do is really understand what is it I'm doing? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What is my purpose? Because everything you do is built around that purpose. Does that make sense? Oh, it's a, it's, as you were just saying that, that all of a sudden the company's gone, what you've been working on for 20 years is gone. I'm like picturing myself if, what would I do? That the very next day when that's all gone, I, I, I won't say who it is, but there was a, a good friend of mine who did sell his company, his product line, and he shared with me that he, not that he regretted it, but he was like, I have a ton more to say and nobody cares what I have to say anymore. I lost my audience because, you know, I sold. Mm -hmm. that had, even though that was kind of your goal, that had to be a little heartbreaking or a little... Oh, it took me 
until recently to start feeling okay about it. And, you know, so this is 18 months. So it's like a death. And, you know, psychologists will tell you there's a cycle to the grief. Mm -hmm. And those emotions, you know, bargaining, denial, acceptance. To get to acceptance is a process. Now, whether you could intellectualize and understand the, the, the cycle of grief, and you can, re you can rationalize it, but those emotions are going to come when they want to come. Right. And you're going to deal with them as you have to deal with them. And what helps me deal with the emotion of that part is to have something to look forward to. Okay. It's my, right now it's my wife and it's my child and the new baby that's coming. That's what I'm doing. And it's also how at 50 I can now reinvent who I am as an industry person and bring something new that perhaps some teenager or some 60 or 70 year old person might be interested in hearing because it adds some value to what they're doing or what they're going through. I really want to jump into this coaching thing that the word that you use though, which is the powerful word is purpose. Have you seen that? I mean, I, I bought the DVDs because I was so fascinated by the YouTube video. It's called no arms, no legs, no worries. Have you seen that? Oh, YouTube. Watch okay. it on YouTube. It has millions of hits, but this guy was born with no arms and no legs. You know, just no mm -hmm. arms and no legs. And he's a motivational speaker. You know, and in his DVD, which I bought many copies of, by the way, because I'm, I'm not passing them mm -hmm. around. You know, people who like, you know, woe is me. I'm like, this guy has no arms and no legs. What's your problem here? But they, they have this B-roll and he kind of makes fun of him. You know, there's, there he is playing soccer. You know, there he is, you know, he's in his wheelchair and the next scene is the wheelchair is chasing him and he's hopping down the, you know, so he kind of makes light of how right. he shows himself, how he brushes his teeth and how he gets around through the day, wow. rides horses, but he's this powerful, he's 25 years old, I think, wow. powerful motivational speaker, but, but that's what he said. You know, what's my purpose? You know, okay, so his parents put him in regular school with everybody else and so he wouldn't feel different and left out or whatever, you know, no special treatment here. You know, but at the end of the day, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. You know, so my purpose isn't, you know, to hit tennis balls, but my purpose could be, you know, actually, you know what he said? He said, because when he stands on a stage, like, like you and I, we have arms and legs. And so we have to use other skills mm -hmm. or other words to be able to get an audience to buy into that. We have something to share. He's like, the second I get on stage, they're like, oh yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't even have to say a thing. They look at me like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess he has uh, had some uh, rough times and has something to yeah. share with us. So. Anyway, back to this whole thing. But you said purpose. Right. And uh, it's, just, it's just about, I mean, what your purpose could be to produce beautiful hair, but what's the other purpose? Is it to make people feel beautiful? Because I think at the end of the day, especially since your canvas is a live human being, if your only purpose is to produce beautiful hair, you know, what about the fact that there's a human being sitting there? So Well, I mean, everybody has an epitaph, and perhaps this is too soon in the conversation to talk about you know some legacy or some epitaph but i have a mantra that goes through my head and and it is did i make the situation better hmm. did i make the person feel better did i give more than i received hmm. and those are simple thoughts i mean not that i'm i'm not gandhi-esque in my being you know i'm you know normal like everybody else but i always want to feel like i contributed something to it and i've when I look back on my life and my career, I recognize that's a component that's always been there. So I got it from my mum. You know, my mother instilled it in me and it stayed with me to this day. It's like making people feel good. Hmm. 
And that's one purpose that could last through an entire lifetime, no matter what your actual. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so let's go into the coaching thing. So you were sitting with a, a personal private coach, mm. and in the process of her helping you through some of these things, it struck it, you like, I want to do what she's doing. Yeah, I want to do what you're doing, but I want to do it for my industry. Okay. Because we're unique. I oh. believe we're unique in, in what we do. And, you know, the public might think that all we do is cut their hair because it's too long, but we understand that it's a lot more involved and it's a lot more psychological than that. So... If I feel the way that I do, there has to be more than one person that feels the same way that would like to connect with a professional that could help them navigate their path to success. That's all it really is, um, with a very short curve, learning curve, you know? And that's what coaching is. So that's your definition of a coach. Mm -hmm. I can help you get there quicker than if you try to do this on your own. Yes. Okay. You know, I've been speaking a lot. This last year, I spent a lot of time on the road and speaking to audiences and coaching people. And, and I get lots of positive feedback and I get lots of people that want to come and take coaching or connect and do coaching. But the amount of people that follow through is so small. It's so slight. It's such a small percentage. And we're not talking a colossal amount of money here. We're talking like $150 for an hour of somebody's time to give them a coaching session. Right. We're talking about... You know, a decent pair of designer shoes. You know, right. we're talking maybe like three or four meals out that you could maybe do without to kind of have some insight to get to that next level. But there's so many people that talk a good game and buy the videotapes and buy the DVDs and buy the audio programs, but they never crack it open. Mm-hmm. They never follow through. Mm-hmm. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They've got all the best intentions in the world but they just don't follow through. And I think that's a significant difference between the very small percentage of people that achieve incredible success and the people that are Monday morning quarterbacks. Mm. Well, if you if you were coaching somebody just in that one aspect, how do you get them to follow through? So they bought the the DVDs and the CDs and then there's, there's not the follow through. Well, the thing about coaching, because I do my coaching on via the telephone. Okay. Or via Skype. You're still doing this? Yes. So how often? Um, I do it like maybe five, six times a week with, with individuals. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Now, th- now this is me coaching other people. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Are you still with your personal I'm private still, coach? I'm still with my coach and I, and I connect with them every 30 days or so. Okay, got it. So when I coach people, we get on the phone and we very cl- I very clearly say, what does he want to talk about? What, what are we going to work on and how are you going to do it? And how will I know when you've done it? So there's predictable results. How is it, and I know the answer, but I just want to hear it from you, or I think I know the answer. How is this different from a therapist? Well, a, th- a therapist was... Because I'm sure that's what yeah. people are thinking. It's like, oh my God, i gotta, yeah. I got to tell James about yeah. my... Yeah. No. Well, here's the difference between therapy and coaching is this, is that... I like this. Okay. As a coach, I'm really not interested in your feelings. Okay, <laughs> I'm not interested in your feelings. I'm not interested who did what in the salon to you. Or I'm not interested in your relationship with your mother and father. What I'm interested in is where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And how can I help you get there? Okay, so by all means, have a therapist, have a psychologist, have a couch where you can go and you can park all your issues and, and God bless you. But this is what coaching is not about that. Okay. 
very, very different. It's all about where you want to go. I'm glad we differentiated that because mm -hmm. you, you still need your, your therapist. You still need your personal trainer at the yeah. gym. Yeah, you still yep. need these, but this is something. Oh, by the way, that, that voice in the background, which there's no way we're going to edit that, is uh, James's little boy, yeah. John. So That's the boss. That's the boss. We love that. Okay. Um, so who is your audience then for coaching? It's salon owners, um, individual stylists, you know, spa, spa directors. So it's, it's basically management and leadership people in the industry, and okay. it's also stylists that are aspiring to tap into you know that reserve of talent that they may have but it's lying dormant okay what'd you say that what the, the first question that you ask them is what where do you want to go where do you want to go well, first, the first question I ask them is what do you want to talk about okay what do you want to talk about and if they start wanting to get into you know their feelings and their bitching and all of that what do you how do you handle that what do well, you do well i mean i'm very clear and say look this is your time you can spend it however you want to spend it right this is your 50 minutes or an hour so right. what, you can spend it however you want however that's really not going to help you where you want to go okay so how firm are you with so they they obviously have to come back with assignments and I kind of walk me through like a, what an hour thing would well, look like, is, which, we know which the then builds upon what happened yep. the week before and the week before, and then obviously there's an assignment for the next week, right? right? So okay. the, you know, I'm working with one salon owner in particular that comes to mind that wants to build a stronger team within her salon. So, you know, so okay. So the goal is to build a stronger team within your salon. First question is how much time are you spending with each team member? Mm -hmm. well, I said, well, well, not really that. Much like well, the key to building a strong team is to connect with them in an interpersonal way in the salon. Is to connect with those individuals, and the only way you're going to connect with them is to spend time with them. So why don't we look at once a week? You're spending five minutes with every single member of your staff individually Indi or all of it individually. Because I have a feeling that some people listening. Oh, I do connect with them at that bitch session staff meeting yeah. that we had. That that's not what you're individually. talking about. Individually, got it. Okay. So five minutes. Five minutes. Every week. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing you have to do is you have to look at your calendar, you have to find a day, and you have to schedule out five minutes with the single person. And what, what's happening in those five minutes? What are you telling them well, they're supposed to be accomplished the, in those five the minutes? The first thing is I want you to find out from them where they want to go with your company. So basically what you're doing with the owner, you're yeah. having them trickle that down. And I, want you, I want you to do with your staff and your team what I'm doing with you. And then obviously there's profit centers that people want to, that people want to improve on the retention, the rebooking, then there's those areas. So my thing to them is, okay, or before you can actually influence somebody, they have to connect with you. They have to trust you. They have to understand that you have their best interest in mind. So you need a few of these five-minute sessions to hear what they have to say, to hear what they think before you can start putting into them what you think should happen. I think I know what you're saying. It's not like, like before you can withdraw, you have to deposit. Yeah. And, and a lot of salon owners are trying to withdraw. I want better numbers, higher sales, right. better performance, better attitude. So they're asking to withdraw yeah. from their people, but they haven't deposited they haven't anything. anything. Covey talks about that probably the most succinctly about the emotional bank account, where you're either making emotional deposits or you're making emotional withdrawals. This, the key to leadership is to make sufficient enough emotional deposits where your people really believe your motivation is based on the benefit of the team, the, the whole. Well, what you said is you have to build trust. So give us ideas on how you would build that trust 
and like you said, um, deposit into that emotional bank account? Well, I think one of the ways in which you would build trust is ask one of your team members, you know, how do you think you're doing? Or how do you think I'm doing? Or how are we as a salon doing? Hmm. You know, when you joined the salon, you had all these expectations and we had this great non-negotiable and these commitment letters that we signed. Are we living up to your expectation? Hmm. Now, to be vulnerable enough as an owner to hear what your staff have to say, to give you feedback, I think, you know, goes back to the recall part of the story is everything's just information. Right. You don't take it personally. You can take it personally in a sense if you want to make an improvement, but you can, to be honest enough, to be vulnerable enough to listen to what somebody wants to say about you and your salon and not be offended is a, a great way of building trust. When you ask salon owners to do that, are they okay with that or what's their response to well, that? Well, I think, you know, I'm relatively new at this. We're, you know, this is just a new venture that I've been doing for the last six months. So many people are so far away from this place. Right. You know, we're, I'm working with people to get them to book the five minute appointments, to book the five minute coaching sessions. So I really, to be honest with you, I haven't had an awful lot of people that are at that, the precipice of actually opening the kimono to go, Tell me what you think of how well we're doing. Yeah, but you're a master at that. You you are a master at investing in people to where there's trust built. H how do you do that? What have you learned over your, you know, 20, 30 years? Well, I, I worked with a lot of younger stylists. And as I, the longer I was in this business, the, the more the stylists became younger. That's just, you know... <laughs> Right? Yeah. And uh, the attitude I had isn't necessarily reflected in the attitude they would have. So I had to invest an awful lot of time working with younger, newer stylists to really realize that I wasn't an old fart and that I was somebody that had something of value and I really wanted them to do well. And, you know, if I take 10 people, if I work with 10 people, you know, maybe I lost three or four people that didn't fit into the culture, that didn't belong to the culture of what we are doing, but they couldn't say that I didn't listen to what they had to say or I wasn't concerned, you know, even to the point of calling them up when they decided to quit or leave or were fired and kind of touch base with them. Because you get to a place of maturity where you realize it's not about me. It's not about this person leaving doesn't define who I am. You know, and it just means that they didn't fit into this culture, but it, right. I don't have to crucify them or vilify them or condemn them. I mean, how many times have you had a salon owner say to you, you know what, I've trained everybody in this salon and I've built them huge clientele and they've got been very successful and as soon as they get successful, they leave and they go somewhere else and they, and they leave me behind. I'm never training anybody else as long as I live. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard that? Oh, all the time. So what does that do, right. you know? You know, what, what, Vidal that said, uh, when asked the question, well, what if I train them and they leave? And he said, well, what if you don't train them and they stay? Exactly. You think that training is expensive? Try ignorance. Yeah. Ignorance yeah. is even more expensive. Yeah. I th the word that you said, I think, in building trust is uh, listening to them. I mean, if you asked a thousand stylists, what's your client's number one complaint about their service provider? They don't listen mm -hmm. to me. And I think that the same probably holds true if a stylist asking a stylist, what's your complaint about the salon owner? They don't listen to me. Mm -hmm. And, and we all know that generation of today, they want to be heard. They want to be they heard. Have an they want to be heard their very first day. Mm -hmm. I, I know I've only been here for a day. I have one hour experience, but by the way, I have an opinion. <laughs> I have something to say, and they want to be heard. Yeah. Anything wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, um, you know, I think 
everything in, in moderation. There's a place for everything, and I think you want your people to be able to bring things to you. Rather, they bring things to you as opposed to they go into the black hole, also known as the, the break room, right. and they get a petition about how lousy you're running the salon and how much better they could do it. So I think it, I think there's a place to let people, you know, talk. And we, my experience being part of the Tony and Guy culture is we have an open door policy where if you have an issue, you have an issue, a challenge, you can bring it to us and talk about it without fear of, you know, being, as I said, vilified or like, the, now there's a black... Where you shoot the messenger. Yeah, there's a black mark against your name. Right. I think that's a great culture. How do you build that though? Time. You build it through time and you build it through build it through habits and we from the get-go Bruno's philosophy was always to sort of really make people feel valuable and the way that you make people feel valuable is to give them time and mm. you you can't replace time it's like you know you come out the gate these kids these future professionals come out the gate and they want to be successful they want to be Robert or they want to be Angus or Scott or any one of the the icons that the, from the Paul Mitchell family or from any family from any family they want to be like that but they still are, it's going to take a requisite amount of time yeah. to, to get to that place and um, there's no experience for it you know yeah I think every company would love to say oh yeah we have an open door policy I'm like really do you really because like like you said if, if somebody complains I, I, it happens in my company all the time you know hey we got a complaint from this student about you know the school oh well that student they're a horrible student well that has nothing to do with <laughs> what we're talking about yeah. here. Was there truth in what they were saying? Mm -hmm. Like again, we want to shoot the messenger. Well, they, I don't, I don't care what they have to say yeah. because they're late to school every day. And I think if if people are bringing issues to you and, but we're not thanking them and making them, oh my gosh, thank you. I'm sure it took a lot of courage mm -hmm. for you to speak up against me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it took a lot of courage for you to to squeal on that staff member who is stealing. Right. You know? I'm sure that took, thank you so much. If we're not thanking them and making them feel safe to do so, then that open door policy, well, I, I brought something to me and I was vilified, like mm -hmm. you said. There's a project, I can't remember the project in San Francisco. There's a, and you might know this, there's a, a woman that started this business in San Francisco, and it might be a nonprofit organization, where everybody that works there is an ex-convict. And, you know, one of the things that she has really instilled in these people is accountability and you know they're responsible for cooking cleaning someone setting the table at dinner time and if somebody doesn't do it right that person that's working with them their responsibility is to let the supervisor or the person know that that doesn't fall within the lines so a lot of these convicts have come from or prisoners or ex-prisoners have come from prison mentality which is you don't be a squealer and the first thing they've had to learn to do here is to be accountable and to hold every other person accountable and this project that this lady is doing is incredibly successful it's just been it's been going on for years and she's been able to rehabilitate these these ex-criminals and ex mm. you know prisoners because she's making them you know what there's, there's no such thing as squealing mm. this is about everybody and about making sure that the napkins are set and the knife and fork is set and this is how we do it. And that's what culture really means. It's like culture is this is how we do things around here. Yeah. And being having an open door policy is part of that culture. This is how we do things. This is how we do how things. How we do things is if you see something, yeah. to not talk about it would be against who we are. Mm -hmm. 
Actually, it's not just prisons that have that same concept of don't, you know, squeal. High school is that way too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not cool to be a tattletale. And people carry that with them. And I, I've done this, you know, right or wrong. I don't know if I'm on the right path here, but I know what I want my end result to be. And that is that people are tattletales. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've even done this. You know, who here is a tattletale? And I, you know, get people to raise their hand. Good for you. Congratulations. That, that means if you see somebody steal or somebody cheat, you're going to speak up about it. Because if you don't, is that going to affect your career? Of course it would. Now we have a school full of, you know, policing agents, you know, because, you know, we can't use the brilliance of our learning leaders because they're too busy, you know, being babysitters right. rather than teaching you. Yeah. So I love that concept. The whole idea that you're getting logistically getting salon owners to set up the five minutes a week with each of their staff members. I mean, that alone is so, so valuable. What message is that going to send out you, to that staff? What? You, am I in trouble? Yeah. Five minutes? What, 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 am I in trouble? Why do you want to see me? But, I mean, I'm not here to be negative. You know, it's to be, be realistic. I mean, have you any idea how difficult it is to get salon owners to embrace that idea? To embrace the idea of giving five minutes a week to each team member? It's like pulling teeth. Really? What are they telling you? Are they doing it? And then, I mean, it's, well, I'm so busy. I, you know, I, how can I do it? Because it's, you know, how can I do it? Because I'm busy behind the chair and I need my time for my clients and I don't want to take people away from their clients. And, and it's... Lots I, I, of I, excuses. Again, I go to the... Covey, Stephen Covey is like a huge influence in how I was able to frame a lot of my ideas. And one of the things, the story he tells about, it's, it's the, I think it's the seventh habit where he goes through... The guy's going through the forest and he sees this guy trying to cut this tree down and the guy's sweating profusely and he's stripped to the waist and he's sawing this tree down and, and the stranger says to him, hey, have you ever thought of stopping and sharpening your saw? And the guy's response is, I'm way too busy to sharpen my saw. Right. And I feel that that's the issue with a lot of salon owners or a lot of, you know, style, anybody in the beauty industry, especially leaders, is that they're way too busy to sharpen the, the saw. And I think that's really the difference right now between I think the people that are managing to survive and thrive in this current economic situation and the people that are perhaps maybe closing their doors. Mm -hmm. It's Hewlett Packard, that their, their concept of management by wandering around mm -hmm. MBWA. Mm -hmm. You know, when asked the question, how do you have time to wander around? I'm too busy doing paperwork. And the response is, how do you have time to do all that paperwork? I'm too busy wandering around. Meaning the whole idea is you have to get out there with your people. If the only time that your people ever see you as an owner, as a leader, is when they're in trouble, when there's a problem, well, so now their only relationship with you is problem-oriented mm -hmm. rather than... You know, I'm your coach, I'm your leader, yeah. I want to see you succeed. And nobody listening to this, I don't care if you're a stylist, you know, I was at the, the Naha Awards. And all those people who stood up there to accept their awards, you know, they didn't stand up there and say, you know what, I am here tonight because I am brilliant. That was not their speech. Mm -hmm. Their speech was, I'm here because of this person, this person, this person, this person. And all the people that they named were coaches, mm -hmm. mentors, people who helped them get there quicker. Mm -hmm. And so nobody listening to this can do it all on their own, especially a salon owner. The only way that you're going to meet those financial numbers um, are because you have people, mm -hmm. everybody in your salon. Uh, you know, Carmen de Pasquale, I love that man. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm the old fart. Well, he didn't say that word, mm -hmm. but he said, I'm the old guy. And my success, how I personally am going to be more successful is through my new people, mm -hmm. my new young talent. That's where I need to invest. And, you know, you, you can pay somebody to clean your house. 
You could pay somebody to mow your lawn and, and even cook your food. You're not going to pay somebody to go kiss your son goodnight. Right. And I think that that's the difference here. You can pay somebody to do your accounting for your salon. You can pay somebody to clean your salon. You, the, the leader, you're the one who has to be there at five minutes a week or whatever you think it looks, needs to look like. You're the one who has to be doing that mm -hmm. for your people to feel valued. Well, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking listening to this. I mean, I, I, you know, there's a lot of information. It's a great opportunity for me to talk about what I think is important and what I believe in. I don't know what your perception is as you listen to this. However, I'm going to assume something. I'm just going to assume for a second that you are like, yeah, 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 you know, James, that's great for you. You know, you like sold your company and you made a bunch of money and you kind of, well, that's great, you know, you don't have to work and stuff. Fantastic, bully for you. I want to frame something to you and that is going back to the, the event, the sale of my company, is that there was a huge void in what I was doing and the purpose of what I was doing. And what I recognized that, I had the good fortune to do for over 30 years was I get to, I get to go to that salon. I get to build that team. It was, I recognized that what I had was a privilege. Mm. And one of the messages I would send to the listener is you get to go to your salon. You get to have a staff or you get to have a clientele. You're not forced to, you don't have to, no one's making you, you get to. It's a real privilege, it's like a driver's license. You get to have a driver's license and you get the privilege of being able to have mobility. It's the same with what you're doing. And when you frame things from that point of view, because I have to tell you, losing my purpose for a long time, it kind of, discombobulated me and made me second guess myself and you know to the point of working with a coach and stuff like that although that's I wouldn't say that's a prerequisite for working with a coach I recognized that was missing and you know I recognize that I'm the kind of person that needs to get you know you know what I'm saying I need to get the opportunity to do that and I really miss that I don't know if I'm explaining that very clearly uh, well I think you're yeah you are explaining it too it's the whole gratitude part of it like the original motivation for a salon owner to get into business for themselves was joy you know it was joy that had them sign that 10-year lease it was oh my god this is this is exciting there's I mean there's two if you consider that there's two emotions joy and pain mm -hmm. you know it wasn't pain that motivated them to sign a 10-year lease it wasn't pain that they hired on that staff and yet some of them five years into it or a year into it they're like this is painful you know I can't wait for this lease to run out so I can throw the keys in the building and mm -hmm. I have to work with these bunch of idiots. Well, get back to your original intention, your original, the word you use, purpose. Mm -hmm. What was the purpose? The emotion was joy. Mm -hmm. How do you get back to the joy? Exactly. And how you, and you said that you maintained that for 30 years. For 30 years, you still felt like it was this privilege. Because maybe this fits in, that, that sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. To me, entitlement is just the ugliest trait and the opposite of entitlement is gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I was feeling is, is gratitude because, you know, being out of the industry now, being out of the salon now, what I'm looking at now is if I went back to the salon as a salon owner, I would gladly wash towels, I would gladly sweep the floor, I would gladly make a cup of coffee for a client, I would gladly do all these things because I recognize now how much I miss it. 
So if I could do it all over again, I would do it entirely different. I would do it even more consciously than I did it before. And I spoke, Jerry Gordon is probably one of the most prolific hairdressers in the industry. Brilliant. And, and I spoke to Jerry Gordon recently and I was talking to him and I was just we were chatting. And I said, Jerry has business. And he goes, well, you know, today it's great. And I said, well, how are you measuring business now? Are you, are you comparing it to last year's numbers or last quarter's numbers? And he goes, James, how I'm doing business today is day by day. Hmm. I'm, he goes, I'm so in the moment of how I'm doing my business. I'm measuring my business on a daily basis. Hmm. And the five-minute coaching, isn't that not measuring your business? Isn't that not checking in with you, the inventory? Because... You know, the inventory of any hair salon is not the, the little bottles or shampoos, the conditioner. The inventory of any hair salon is the people. Okay. And that's the barometer. So they check in with your people to find out how we're doing once a week. Is that too much to ask? Plus, they're the frontline people. Yeah. They can have more to do with increasing revenue, making sure that the client is happy. They're the front lines. Absolutely. When I interviewed the uh, president of Outback Steakhouse, he said, you know what? Not once have we received a letter from a happy customer at Outback Steakhouse saying, I love Outback Steakhouse because of the president. Right. <laughs> we, he says, we've never <laughs> received that letter. <laughs> he said, now we get a lot of letters from happy customers, but right. why are they happy? Because of the frontline people. But... You know, if you're not willing to invest in those frontline people, you're not willing to invest five minutes a week with your people. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I want to take you on a couple of other topics here. Well, along the same lines. In your coaching session, how much do facts play into the information? Meaning facts, numbers, initially, bottle well, counts, yeah. client counts, yeah. they, they, chemical, they, that kind of stuff. They do. I mean, I... It depends on how deep the individual wants to. Well, because you said that you pull the emotion out yeah. of it. You don't care how they feel. Yeah. You know, the, the numbers don't lie. The facts yeah. don't lie. I mean, my job, if, if they want to be more successful, more profitable, my job is to point out the areas where they should focus on to be more profitable. So if it's retail, that's an area. If it's retention, you know, if it's rebooking, if it's, you know, sales per transaction... And, you know, I rely on them to give me the numbers. So you are, you do need those facts. I do need, I need those facts because I need to have measurable results. You know, I can't tell you, you know, when you're doing fantastic, if I don't have anything to qualify that. Right. So I need to, you need to let me know, show me where you're at. And let's first of all, create a strategic goal. And then let's work on the tactics. What are the tactics, the actions that we need to take to implement so that we can actually get to achieve our strategy and so i need the information so it's kind of a little bit like it's very confidential i mean that's the first thing i tell people is like you know whatever we discuss here it's you know for those of, of people listening to the catholic faith it's like confession you know whatever you know we talk about here stays here you know and i'm glad that you mentioned that that because a lot of people don't they don't even know what the facts are of their own salon let alone to be able to share it with a coach you know, oh, this, this guy I work with, Luke, is always, you know, people say, oh my gosh, we had an amazing day. Well, what's amazing? Oh, a lot of people really love us. Really? What's a lot? Is that a thousand people love us? Is it nine people? Like, mm -hmm. he's always like, you know, what does that mean? Break it down right. for us. And I think that's the, to get a lot of salon owners and, and uh, stylists to start to think in terms of potential. What is the potential? And then where, where are we in relation to the potential? Because I think as, as times go on and the longer a salon's in business, 
they focus less on the potential and they just get really admired in the day-to-day, so they lose the vision. I'm sorry to throw you off here, but I'll bring you back on. Bring me back. You also mentioned uh, Skype. Mm-hmm. So are you... Do you find that that's more effective than if you're just on the phone with somebody? So you see them and yeah. they see you I and mean, you're doing that? Skype to me is the best way because you, you're seeing them, you're seeing the emotion and they're connecting with you. But I mean, both work great. Okay. What, what are some of the other facts that you're asking for that you need to have to be effective with them? Well, I think retention is a huge, you know, what's your, what percentage is your retention? what percentage of rebooking, you know, what percentage of productivity, how many out of the hours available, what percentage are booked, you know, what's the average ticket sale, what's the average retail ticket sale. So those are, I mean, those are the most significant things that can give you the health of the business, you know. If you stepped away from the salon yourself, if you took yourself out of the salon and weren't doing hair, would the salon continue to stay in business? Are you also coaching people on, on employee HR stuff? No. So if they come to you and say, hey, I've got this um, stylist who, you know, their numbers are great, but they're always in a bad mood, they're always late, they're always out of dress code, what should I do? You don't coach them on well, that I would, kind of stuff? I, I well, I would give them my coaching advice on that. I mean, but I don't frame myself as an HR expert because right. I'm not, but I do have significant experience of working with a lot of different people in the industry and people that don't necessarily fit the culture of your company. Well, I mean, you use the word experience. I mean, that's what makes you valuable, you know, so mm-hmm. an hour of your time, you know, I mean, they could jump on a plane and, and spend a thousand dollar tuition for a three day seminar and not receive what they're going to receive from you in an hour because you got the experience. No matter what scenario they threw at you, Mm -hmm. whether it's a promotional thing that fell apart, whether it's a troubled employee, whether it's a lease issue, you've dealt with it. Yeah, pretty much. I also like the idea that you're asking that this connection happen every week. Because a lot of people think, no, they get get yearly evaluations. Yearly, really? Yeah. (laughs) It has to be one a week. You know that the, I mean, statistically, this generation of today, I mean, you and I, we were probably thrilled if we never saw our boss. Right. (laughs) The generation today, uh -uh. they want to see their boss. They want to have a connection with their boss Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I I believe that uh, people want the attaboys, you know, like the coach to pat them on the butt or pat them on the back and tell them they're doing well. They want feedback. Right. And I think if there's a great thing about this generation is that they demand feedback. Oh, yeah. And they're quite willing to give it to. Yeah. So, so it, is a, it is a different scenario. I did talk to a salon owner and they were getting a lot of, um, you know, future professionals to work for them. And they were, you know, they were going through them. They were burning through them. And Meaning they would start and yeah, then they not would, stay. They would start and then they'd not stay. And, and they were... When I talked to them, they were complaining about, you know, how these kids don't really get it, they don't really understand. And I framed it differently. I said, well, you know, have you ever considered, ever thought about maybe you don't understand? Because obviously, they've come out with a level that they're, and they're proficient at this level. And your frame of reference is, you know, you train people for another two years and three years. So for them that seems like an, an eternity because they're already coming out with the skills to function at a, a decent level. So what's happening is 
the expectations are not the same. So one or two things have to happen. Either you have to readdress your expectations so that it fits with modern thinking and modern hairdressing, or you have to stick to your culture of hiring people to understand quite clearly that it's a two, three year process before they actually go further. Mm -hmm. And that will be painless for you. It will be less pain for you and less pain for these kids that are coming to interview with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And they got it, you know, I don't know if they ever changed their... At least they're aware of it now. But now they're aware of it. And I think, you know, a great thing about a coach, I mean, a coach really only, should only speak twice. For every 10 sentences that the coachee say, and a, a coach should only really say two sentences. So you're not, you're not just sitting there rambling for an hour. Right. I mean, if you, can be, you can be a consultant if you want, but I'm not really a consultant, I'm a coach. I, I want to get to like the nutty gritty. I want to get to where you want to go. Right. And I need you to tell me what that looks like. Huh. I like what you were saying that. So how they used to do, or what do they say? The six words of a failing salon are, we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, how we've always done it around here is that you're going to be an assistant for two or three years, you know? Yeah. And when I was your age, by the way, I walked five miles in the snow to be an assistant. Yeah. Without shoes. Exactly. We used to shampoo with cold water. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So as you're coaching and, and they're divulging challenges and stuff, could, if you were to try to narrow it down, what are the you know top one, two, or three challenges that you uh, keep on hearing from one salon to the next to the next to the next? Well, the first thing I hear is, you know, I really want to have a great salon. And so that's the first thing I hear. The second thing I hear is that we really like teamwork. And the third thing I hear when I ask the question, how much time are you spending with each individual? Well, we have quarterly meetings and we have quarterly evaluations. I don't I very rarely hear we have a meeting once a week or a one-on-one -on -one once a week. So that's the, the most significant thing. And then what are you talking about? you know, in those meetings. When I came up in hairdressing, I wanted to hang out with my boss. You know, I wanted to go to classes and I wanted to take classes. and I, So I wanted the constant contact. And I think that, that we've talked about this already, that this generation do want that contact. So, you know, I have friends in the industry and I meet them and I love seeing them and it's great. We have dinner, we hang out. And I don't see them all the time, but when I do see them, I love them. Now imagine somebody you're with all the time, somebody you're working with all the time. When you see the boss or the leader, you want to hang out with them. You want to connect with them. So I would say to a lot of salon owners or leaders, don't underestimate the value of your charisma. Don't underestimate the value of your time because your people would love it. They crave it, they, but you just haven't harnessed it yet. Sometimes, a lot of people. That's great advice. That's such good advice. How have you personally benefited from coaching? Well, to me, it's a new career, you know. So I'm now in the process of reinventing myself. I've now got a new challenge. I'm now in the process of building a clientele and building a website and developing my clients and learning to be a a listener, because as a motivational speaker, you, you're talking all the time. People pay to hear you, what you have to say. Right. But when you're a coach, you know, the hard thing is to edit yourself. You know, I want, I've got to edit, like, I'd be conscious of not taking over the conversation. I have a feeling I wouldn't be a very good coach. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to edit myself? I, yeah. Really? I can't just ramble? <laughs> I mean, I just want, I mean, the one thing I would like the listeners to, to be aware of in here also is that you think at a certain point you're going to change how you feel or you're going to feel differently or you're going to feel like you have less energy. And I have to say that who I am as a person is who I've always been. But I recognize now that the essence of who I am, the energy and the enthusiasm is something that I've always had. And that doesn't go away. That doesn't change. So I might be 50, 60, 70, but my attitude and my energy and my enthusiasm and the essence of who I am can still be that sprightly, energetic, effervescent person that I was when I was a teenager. Right. You know, so I'm not ready to like get my pipe out and my carpet slippers and put my feet up and puff away and look at the news and think, what a mess the world is in. I think there's still an effect. Things can still change and I can still be an agent of change. Does, does that make sense? Oh, it makes a ton of sense. And what probably used to take you lots of spinning your wheels of that incredible energy, what used to take you you know, weeks and weeks and weeks to get accomplished, now you can do with one five-minute phone mm -hmm. call. Exactly. Because you've harnessed that energy and you also have the experience. Mm -hmm. Somebody said once to me that they would rather be paid for what they know and who they know than for what they did. And that made a lot of sense to me because at that point when they said that all, the only time I ever got paid was when I stood on a stage to speak. Right. And, and yet I know a lot of stuff and I know a lot of great people. So if I can get paid by who I know and what I know and use that as a means to, to move people and to spread a word and mm -hmm. make money, I mean, that's a better way to that's, live a life. That's, and that's an amazing, insightful revelation, you know? As I start to wrap things up here, you're, you're talking about being a good coach. What do you have to say about being coachable? Well, like, like they say, you can't really be a good teacher if you're not a good student. You can't really be a good leader if you're not a good follower. Mm -hmm. I only have my story. Mm -hmm. You know, every, the thing that creates like-mindedness or the thing that creates a connection with the human experience is that we each have our own story. And that is important to, that's the fabric, the DNA of who we are. In my story, in my experience, it took me a long time to learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. Because when I was younger, I was more driven by my ego and competition. And perhaps I would compete with someone like an Anthony or a Bruno because I wanted to show that I was just as good. And it would prevent me from actually getting the lesson in, in the moment. And it's taken me until this point in my life or probably in the last 10 years, to become more of a student, to ask for the willingness to be willing, you know, and to be a good student. So I think, you know, I, to the listener, I would encourage them, look, it's just information. If you ask somebody else for advice or a suggestion or input, it doesn't mean you're less than. It doesn't mean they're better. It just means that it's information and you're, you're open to learn. And what I've found, whether it's been the Trevor Sorbys of the world or the Vidal Sassoon's, one of the, the common components of who they are is their fascination. They're fascinated, they're curious, they've got very keen minds. Now here's Vidal at 80 years old, still asking questions, mm -hmm. still curious. And that's why I think he is who he is, because 
He asked the right questions at the right time and he was able to set himself apart. I think that's available to a lot of people. I think what you just said is easy to talk about, difficult. If I'm going to be coached, it's, it's, it's difficult to take coaching sometimes. And we talk about how to be a good coach, you know, where you, you change the words and you, you coach in private and, you know, you have an emotional commitment and they, the person can trust you. But the flip side of that is how do you take coaching? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where you said it's just facts, it's just information that can help you. Right. And it isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for everybody. I mean, I talk to a lot of young stylists and one of their complaints is, I don't understand why everybody in the salon isn't as motivated about education as I am, or they're not as enthusiastic about I am. And my point to them is, I say, look, think how much more competitive it would be if everybody was as motivated as you. Right. It would be so much harder for you to get ahead so coaching really isn't for everybody. It's right. for the somebodies. It's right. for the people that really want to like aspire to that next level, who understand, hey, I'm not making it at this level. If I am making it at this level, then why am I frustrated? Why am I unhappy? Why do I not have the results? And the real breakthrough comes when you can recognize the same old habits, the same old patterns, and then you recognize, you know what, there's got to be a different way. Right. You know, when will this become exhausting for you? You know, aren't you tired of this? You know, don't you want to do it differently? What you just said about stylists, who's, you hear that from salon owners, you know, why don't my people think the way I think? I said, well, if they did, they'd all be salon owners themselves complaining about their staff who don't think the way they think. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. James, do you have a final message for our listeners? Realizing that, you know, there's, there, there's different listeners here. You know, there's the new generation just entering the, the industry and then there's, you know, the, the leaders of that, that next generation who I believe is their, it's their job, it's their purpose to empower that next generation because they're up and coming and there's a, a lot of them and we need to figure them out. And the, the message would be to people that say are maybe at my age or, or my stage in their career is to really reconnect with, if they haven't connected already, is to connect with the youth in the industry because what I've learned is that I get a lot more out of connecting with them than they do with me you know so selfish smart is I need to connect with young people because I'm at the point whereby I need their energy and I need their juice and I need their ideas and I need their enthusiasm because it gives me a a purpose so you know the last thing you want to be is in an ivory tower and you're just checking emails and you're just, you know, sending out edicts. And, you know, I think being in there with younger people, knowing how they think. And one of the things I want to do in the future is to go into the beauty schools. And I want to ask the, the future professionals and I want to ask the young hairdressers, what do you think? Hmm. What do you think? What's going on? What kind of salon would motivate you? What are you looking for in the salon? Hmm. You know, I want to, because I don't know what you think. I know what I know but I want to know what you know. Mm. And I think that's a beautiful place to be at, is curiosity, being curious as to what makes them tick. Mm. Ask them what they want and then give it to them. Mm. I love that message. Not that I've been invited on those, you know, golfing trips, (laughs) which I'm sure are great, you know, where you get to retire with your old cronies and your old buddies and you go on golfing trips. But I, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Give, give me a, a room full of kids. The, and something happened to me recently in the last year. Our mutual friend, David Wagner, 
went through cancer and, and survived and came out the other end. And I was fortunate enough to go and spend a few days with them. And we went to, I mean, there's David. I, you know, David's, you know, when I first met David, his beautiful, like, curly, mad mane of crazy hair. And uh, I went to see him and here he was. He was kind of, you know, looked like somebody that was, you know, beating cancer, but he had no hair. And, you know, he dropped some weight and, you know, he, he was infirm, but he still had that vital spark about him that anybody that knows David can see that. And we went to dinner and then afterwards he said, I want to take you to this club, James. There's a friend of mine that's got this band and, and you know, we should, I want to go and listen to them. And I was like, yeah, fine. So we go have dinner, we have good dinner. We go to this like, tiny little club, tiny, tiny, tiny. There's all these benches and chairs and there's three guys that step onto the stage and the places they're all everyone's applauding and then these guys let loose with their music and they rock the house the place is just like they're having so much fun they're like just jamming and the music's great and they, you can tell that they're loving what they're doing and when they finished their first couple of songs david looked at me and he said when was the last time you had that much fun at work <laughs> he says because that's the kind of fun i want to have and i and that's the question I would have for the listener is like, when's the last time you had that much fun at work and you really rocked it and you thought, yeah, that was that was great because that's what you're creating. That's the ability. You have that ability to create that. I can add nothing to that. James, I knew it would be this way. And I like what you said earlier that sometimes you don't see people for a long time, but when you connect, it's a gift. And uh, that's how I feel about you. Thank you. I feel the same way. And I, and I love doing this and... You know, it might seem a bit of a love fest when I when we talk, and but that's the reality of it, and that's what has cemented and bonded our relationship for the, all this time, and it will help it grow into the future. So, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Love you, James. Love you too.